hello, hello everybody. Hello and welcome. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Hello and welcome. I am Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. Glad you could join me. Sorry, I'm like a couple minutes late. It's been a whirlwind today. We're training, we're packing fish, we're taking care of business and uh, just got a little bit behind, but we're here now, so all is good. Um, we're going to start with the shipping report, get that out of the way. And then we're going to talk about the giveaway and some other cool stuff. The shipping report is that I do unfortunately have two things to report. One is a uh, Milanitani Trifoschiata from Habgood River. And the other is another rainbow, which I never lose, which is Chilotherina blairi. Um, the Habgood was sent with a, a large rainbow order. All the other ones did fine, but that one... Uh, it arrived stressed and then passed away later that day, if I remember correctly. Same kind of scenario with the Blairi. So my question is, I hardly ever lose rainbows. So um, I think everything's fine. I think it was just a happenstance type thing. But I would like to ask anyone else if uh, we sent out lots of those rainbow fish. So if you've received some Habgood Rivers or some... Blair eye from us um, or yours doing well because if multiple people are having issues then then I need to take care of it um, if it's just a one-off then it's like okay that was unfortunate something was wrong with the fish or that we didn't catch or it, it, it's like a singular situation and we don't have to shut down the whole tank and like be like dig in super deep so that kind of feedback's really helpful if anyone else is having problems um but again those were like the hab goods was one of quite a large group all the others are doing fine and they were all shipped in the same box in the same conditions packed the same way so it makes me think maybe there was something going on with that fish that just you couldn't see externally um and then the blair eye we've we've distributed lots of those and this is the first time that I can remember and geez in forever that someone's had a problem with those. I mean, it could have happened, but it's been so long. I can't even remember it. So that's the shipping report a lot worse than usual, but a lot better than, um, than normal for, for the industry. So two losses. Um, and I have not calculated in a little while what that, what, where we're at as far as our, arrive alive and thrive rate percentage success rate percentage is how I kind of put that um, for a little while, but when I can breathe, I'll do that again. But it just anecdotally from watching the numbers and stuff, I don't think it's changed much. I, I still think it's, it's up there where, it, where we want it. So all in all, it's good. Um, apologize to those customers and we we're taking care of it, but um, I, I always feel bad when a customer has an experience like that. So just want to apologize to them. They know who they are. Um, but besides that, everything else, I mean, we, we get a lot of love letters that things are doing well. Thanks for packaging them so well, um, especially if it's someone's first time. Um, when someone orders for the first time and they have that experience, we get a lot of really nice emails back. So in general, it's going well, but I don't want to hide and pretend there's never problems. We want to be transparent and I, I hate whenever we lose a fish. But um, when you think of how busy it's been, we just released an, a new import and we sold through just a ton of fish in the last few weeks. 
And um, when I think of how busy it's been and the fact that we've lost, I think if you include this week and last week, it lasts several weeks, something like maybe five fish total, maybe four, four or five fish total out of hundreds and hundreds of fish, then, uh, you know, that, that makes me feel good. But I tend to focus on problems. I'm, I guess I'm, I guess I'm solution oriented. Um, so when I see a problem that draws my attention, cause I want to fix it. And of course you can't fix everything. If you get a thousand people in a room, one of them is going to be sick, right? Or a few of them are going to be sick no matter what, right? Even though they all look healthy. That's, it's just a numbers game. And I get that. But anyway, that's that's what... Uh... Oh, okay. We got a comment here. Hang on. I'm going to see. Looks like Kelly Foreman might have had an issue. Um, does her have goods? Let's see. Kelly Foreman, my ham hab goods are all doing well. One of them looked a little off, stringy poop and kind of acting, shy acting, but they're all doing well now. They're all shulling and flaring fine. Okay, that's good to know. I'm just going to scroll real quick, real quick and see if anyone else had any issues. Um, Gary Williams is having trouble with auto syncless. Gary, I'm so sorry to hear that. Okay, I'll keep looking, but um, yeah, and that the white stringy poop, by the way, that's, I know we've talked about that before. We've talked about empty fecal casings before. Great material for a first date or a romantic dinner, the topic of empty fecal casings. Um, the white stringy poop, for those that might not have heard me talk about it before, I had always thought in the past that that was due to some kind of infection, either a parasite or some bacteria or something was causing that. But um, I keep tabs on a few aquatic veterinarians. And one of them, Dr. Jesse Sanders, I believe, uh, talks frequently and publicly and openly about these things. And one of the topics she focused on in one of her public uh, lectures, she does videos and stuff like that, was white stringy poop and she wanted to clarify what it is and according to her and she's an aquatic veterinarian right so someone who should know um white stringy poop in fish is the equivalent of diarrhea in humans what it is is it's called an empty fecal casing so there's they're just purging and it can be from parasite sure um it can be from bacteria or virus or any of that but it can also be from simple stress it can be from eating something that doesn't agree with them. All the things that can create diarrhea in a human being, can, same kinds of things can create diarrhea in fish. So um, I, it used to be that whenever I saw it, I'd be like, shoot, metronide is all prosy, right? Some kind of protozoans in the intestine. But after hearing Dr. Jesse, I believe it is Sanders, um, talk about that, I've, I've now switched up. And now when I see that, I, I actually just kind of give them some time. I make sure they're in a low stress situation and I just give them some time. And what I found is generally with time, that'll heal up. So it's not as dire as maybe I used to think it was. So anyway, Kelly, I'm glad to hear that your comment got me thinking about that. I'm glad to hear that your fish 
uh, recovered and is doing well. Let's move from empty fecal casings to something a little more palatable, and that's the giveaway. So we're doing a giveaway today, which is not going to be for everyone. I recognize that. And our view count might be down for this live stream because I'm not sure how many people show up just in the hopes of winning something. <laughs> Hopefully not that many. But we are going to do a giveaway of some gimpy angels. Now, what do I mean by that? So here at Dance Fish, we, we try not to needlessly kill fish. Okay, so often what happens is over time you acquire these fish you can't sell because they're just not quite right and you don't want someone that paid for a fish to get something that isn't quite right right we try really hard not to do that we miss stuff every now and then or things can be misidentified that we just have no way of knowing like stuff like that does happen but when we know we tend like angelfish for example we tend to separate those and just kind of hold on to them. So we have a, after a while, we get several. <laughs> and pretty soon we've got a tank that's just full of gimpy fish. And it's like, hey, we need that tank for inventory, right? So we like to let gimpy fish is what I call them. Uh, fish that look different. Their fins aren't shaped right. They're missing a fin. They might be missing a gill plate cover. Something like that. Um, we, we like to let them live, right? We don't... We, we want to call them in the sense that we don't want to pass them into the gene pool or sell them to our customers, but we don't want to call by killing. Uh, that's not necessary. So we have a group of these. We have about seven or eight of them. They're actually really high dollar angelfish um, strains. It's just these ones happen to be kind of gimpy. Now, what I don't know is if the gimpiness is a genetic thing or something that happened, some kind of damage they received um, that resulted in their gimpiness. So most of what it is, is missing a ventral fin. So we have, the, the group consists mostly of a mappa red angelfish, which are beautiful. In fact, let me show you a picture of a non-gimpy one, just because I don't have a picture of a gimpy one. But, um, okay, let's find this. We're at dancefish.com. A mappa. Okay, so here's a picture of the same batch of fish. This one does have both ventral fins, um, and this is the red starting to come in. They, they are a really nice fish, and all the fish, these aren't tiny babies. They're The body size on them without the fins, just the body right now is one to two inches. Most of them are these. Um, a couple of them are or one is a um, avatar angel, not a blue avatar angel, but a black avatar angel. And the issue with him is his dorsal fin is big and everything, but it's kind of flopped over. So instead of going straight like that, it kind of curls at the top. I don't think that one's genetic. I think he was kind of the runt of the group. And I think he got picked on and that fin got picked on. And then when it healed back, it it came back as a curve because when I originally got him, he did not have a curved dorsal. So that's my suspicion. I don't know that for sure. Um, maybe a curved dorsal, if it's genetic, doesn't manifest till it's grown up or something. But um, I don't think that one has a genetic thing. The mopper reds, it's mostly they have one ventral fin or the ventral fins aren't quite the same length. 
Um, but some of them are missing a fin almost altogether. There's just a little nub <laughs> where the fin should be. And um, a couple of them have, I wouldn't say they're missing gill plates, but like the gill plate, instead of going straight, at the very end kind of curves in a little bit. So these are fish that aren't going to be probably good for a breeding program, but most people that get fish aren't breeding, they just want a pretty display tank. So they'll look pretty, they'll get big, they're healthy. As far as I know, I've had, I've had them a minimum of two months I've had each of these. So they've been in our term long care, um, our term long care, our care long term. <laughs> Hard talking is. <laughs> English is rough, I tell you. <laughs> and so I, I, do, I think they're perfectly healthy and they'll grow into big, beautiful fish, but they're gimpy. So I thought what I would do um, is see if we do giveaway for them. I, I know there's a contingent in our community that likes to keep gimpy fish, right? Uh, it has a soft spot for fish like that. So I thought it was worth doing a try. So we'll do the giveaway. If it's not for you, that's fine. I get it. Not everyone wants gimpy fish, but some people do. So if there, if there's something that you would like to give a nice forever home to, um, then the hashtag is gimpy. Hashtag G-I-M-P-Y will get you entered into the um, giveaway. And later tonight, we'll draw and someone will get seven to eight of them, I believe, is what we have. Seven to eight gimpy angels. And yeah, I just, just want to try to give them a home. So that's where we're at. Um, again, I know this isn't going to be for everybody. That, that's totally fine. <laughs> so no pressure. Um, but with that, oh, and if you're new here, you just, you enter that into the chat, um, just hashtag Gimpy, no spaces, caps don't matter, um, just hashtag Gimpy, and later we'll do a drawing, if, and if you did that comment in the chat, um, you'll be entered in the drawing automatically. We have some software that does that. Now, I do want to say, you only have to enter once, ordering multiple times does not help you, it just spams the chat, so please don't do that. So that's the giveaway. All right, let's start with questions and comments. Um, my brain's a little fried. We've had a lot going on the last few days. We're getting ready for more fish coming in this week and more fish coming in next week. And we uh, have someone here that um, we're doing a working interview with to see if we all you know, want to make it a permanent relationship. Someone to come and work with us. We, we need people like we're getting really busy. So um, that's going on. It, it's basically training. Uh, we approach that as if the person is going to be come up in a, a member of the team. And, uh, so there, there's a lot of training and stuff going on with that. And there's just a lot going on. So my brain's a little fried. So I'm trying to think of like cool updates to tell you the, the only thing that really comes to mind is the warehouse. We had a meeting with the contractor yesterday um, and the electrician and the plumber and HVAC folks. And um, there's been progress. So the uh, circuit breaker boxes got put in there. The electrician's working and the doors and yeah, we have the windows in the doors should arrive tomorrow and should be put in tomorrow or maybe the next day depending on what time of day they arrive. So as long as they arrive tomorrow, they should be in this week. Um, spray foam should happen really soon. So things are moving along. 
albeit a lot slower than than I wanted. Um, there were there's some materials that are taking longer to get here than would be ideal. There's some materials that have got here and then got damaged um, as they were being worked with. And so now they have to be replaced, things like that. So we're, we're a few weeks back from where we wanted to be, but it's still chugging along and uh, I'll keep updating you with pictures. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I can't wait to get in there. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm beyond ready. So that's kind of what's going on in my world. Now let's get your questions and comments and see what's going on in your world. So we'll start with Leo Contreras. Love my group of L471s. Thanks again. They are amazing. I'm glad you like them. I think we sent all the, I think we're sending out all the rest of them tomorrow. I, I think we're well and truly sold out. Um, we, <laughs> when you get down to the last couple plecos in a hundred gallon aquarium. So we were keeping, uh, half of those in another tank, but, but half of them in here, in this hundred gallon tank right here. And when you get down to the last few mini snowball plecos in a hundred gallon, six foot long tank that has plants and driftwood and filters and stuff, man, that's a challenge. So a, a good portion of the afternoon was spent <laughs> We're like, we know they're in there. <laughs> so everyone that ordered, we do have enough. Everyone that um, was hoping to get some and that if we found any extra, we'd let you know. Um, I don't think we have any extra. So there's one more tank we can look at from a previous batch. And there might be one or two still hiding in there, but I'm not certain. So sorry, guys, I'm trying my best to get those and keep those in stock but it's, it's hard they they're a high demand fish and there's very little supply so but leo i'm glad you were able to get some and i'm glad to hear they're doing well for you want to thank my mods i see punchy paints i see kaler's aquatics and exotics and let's see is any other mod here to think that's who i see so far if there's other mods further down i'll 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 say hi later when I see you later. But thanks for being here and doing what you do. I really appreciate your help very, very much making these streams work every week. <clears throat> oh, wait, Leo left another comment down below about that. Thanks for the L471s. Love them. Just got the caves in one inch perfect or use the 1.5 inch ones. Oh, I think one inch is more than enough for a little mini snowball pleco for sure. They, they kind of want to squeeze into a space. Uh, their caves, like, they, they want to feel the sides and stuff. They really want to squeeze in and feel secure. I'm really glad you like them. They're a neat little fish. Oh, Leo left a super chat. I did not know that. Thank you so much, Leo. And it jumped on me, so I'm trying to see it. There it is. Let's see here. Case came in small size. Okay, cool. I, I think it's pretty much the stuff we've already talked about, that they're doing well and you're getting case for them. Um, but thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. Never required, but, you know, it does make my wife super happy when money falls from the computer screen. Oh, Get Gills is a mod. Hi, Get Gills. Thanks for being here. <laughs> AKA Random Arms. 
aka Jonathan. If you'd like Dan to respond to your question, please tag him with a, hash, a at symbol Dan's fish. That's right. Then it turns bright orange for me like this. If you put Dan's fish in there and select it, that'd be awesome. David W. recently set up a 15-gallon black water cube Been considering Betacochina for it. How many do you think could be comfortably stocked in it? In 15 gallons, um, depending on maintenance and things, like 20. Um, I'm, I'm imagining it's got leaf litter and driftwood and maybe some plants, but I'm just imagining lots of, like, hardscape and stuff like that for them to, to hide in and have little niches in and get their little territories and their little cubby holes where they want to live. So as long as it's stocked with plenty of, you know, woods and rocks and leaves and, or plants, I don't know if it's heavily planted, that can work too. Um, black water, I, I'm tending to think it's probably not planted, but if it is, that can work. Um, then I, geez, I think you could get 20 in there. They're small fish. They don't have a big bio load. They aren't fast swimmers. They don't need a ton of space. Um, as long as they each have a little hidey hole, a little cubby, a little spot, I think they'll be just fine. Now they do jump. So, um, do make sure that you have a nice tight lid fitting lid for that. I'm not sure. I, I'm not familiar with exactly which aquarium you're using, but if you're doing any wild type bed as a lid is necessary or they will jump. They can jump super, super high, way higher than you would suspect. Von Yenizer. Von Yenzer. <laughs> Judging by the response, we all have a soft spot for the gimpy fish. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that I know several people in the community do, so I think it'll be cool for people. And it'll be good for the fish, right? I mean I don't know if it's just something a little different, right? It's a it's a conversation piece. Bob Purcell and everyone else, what would be a good algae eater for hair and stag horn algae? I mean, my favorite are scuds. Staghorn, I don't know if I've had, so I'm not exactly sure, but I, uh, scuds will eat any algae that grows on a surface. Free-floating algae like green water, not so much, but anything that's stuck on a surface they can latch onto and kind of crawl on and graze on, they'll eat. So I think scuds are the best algae eater, period, for anything besides free floating, like tiny unicellular green algae. In that case, I think it's like Daphnia. Um, Alicia Neas, any West African shipments planned? Kind of. There's, there's one that um, may or may not resolve at the moment. Um, it's still tricky. It, there are flights leaving from there and legally it can happen now, but um, the infrastructure, infrastructure in West Africa, as far as the aquarium industry and the supply lines and all that, it has always been, um, I don't want to say shaky, but it's, it's always been I don't want to say tenuous. I don't know what the word is. Not as developed as the other places that folks routinely get fish from. So with all the complications that resulted from COVID and all that, um, it's making it even harder. But um, th there is a tentative thought or, or something in the process that's very tentative right now. But 
the other thing is, I think that we might wait till we move to the warehouse before we do another West African order. And the, and the reason is most of the fish that you can get out of West Africa are not mainstream fish, which is good. We want to bring in unusual stuff, but they're unique enough and different enough that there's not a high demand. So the sell through, if all of our stock, okay, if we do enough fish to bring in an import, that's like half our stock will be, West African. It, it, we have to bring in lots of stuff. And they generally aren't like breeding lots of popular species. They're going and collecting locally. So all the fish that are available when you bring in from West Africa are the fish that are right there in the area or, or can be traveled to and collected and brought back easily. So there's a limited number of species, most of which are not the type of fish people typically buy. A few are, but the vast majority are not. And so it's difficult to make half your stock all fish that are not likely to sell through really quickly. Case in point, we did an African order. Um, has it been six months? Maybe. About six months ago, I'm going to say. And we still have a lot of the fish from that order uh, just because they're so unique, like the African knife fish, uh, some of the butterfly fish, um, and some other ones that aren't coming to mind right now. Uh, the Synodonus catfish. Um, so the killifish will sell well, but there's only so many killifish available, only so many species, and you can't fill a complete import of, le of like legitimate size with just the killifish. So it, it becomes tricky to do that. And um, so I think it'll make more sense when we're in the warehouse because then we can have like a, a smaller percentage of the inventory that's kind of that, that kind of lesser known stuff, stuff that isn't like real high in demand and balance that with other stuff that is. So it, it just works better for our inventory flow. So that is another thing I'm thinking of when I think of bringing in from West Africa. But right now, one of the main reasons is just uh, it's, it's tricky right now. Yeah. Master Aquatics. <laughs> just call me Eduardo. <laughs> what is your best way, natural way, to lower pH? Um, you do that by lowering hardness, and you do that by introducing humic substances and tannins and things like that. So oak leaves are great. Indian almond leaves are great. Uh, coarse sphagnum peat is great. If you use the peat moss that's often used in gardening that is like almost like a brown powder, like really fine, that's not as good because that'll compact and get kind of agnoxic or uh, anaerobic, stuff like that. But if you get the really coarse sphagnum stuff, that's almost like uh, it's almost like having plants in your tank. So that stuff do doesn't compact and get anaerobic as easily. So that's an option. Anything like that, basically vegetable matter that's high in tannins and humic substances that will break down and not break down quickly and cause an ammonia spike, but will break down gradually and release tannins into the water. There's some driftwoods and things like that that can do it as well. But I think that's the way you do. You just put that stuff in you in there and you let it marinate. And over time, it's going to take quite a lot of time, but over time, it'll, it'll do that. So as far as natural, I think that's the way to do it. Now, the one tricky thing in, 
to keep in mind is when you're doing that, you can't be changing a lot of water because if your water is hard, and I'm assuming it is, if you want to soften it, then um, then you're going to be reversing any progress towards softness you've made with each water change because you're introducing more carbonate hardness with, with each water change, right? Um, so you want to do minimal water changes in this kind of scenario, which means you can't have a heavy fish load because uh, you'll have problems. <laughs> if you have a heavy fish load and you can't do enough water changes. So that's, that's my thoughts. Flying Jawayan, have you worked with the L401 yet? No, I have not. L401 Pleco. Let's see what we're talking about here. So here's the L401. Um, I do not believe, I could be wrong, but I, I don't believe that I've, I've worked with this one. By the way, if you guys don't know this site yet, info. This is a great site. I believe it's a Norwegian gentleman, but super into plecos and a hobbyist, but with a scientific approach is how I would describe it. Great information. So this happens to be the species profile for this pleco. Um, but no, this looks like one I would like. It only gets, what, six inches? Um, and I don't believe that's one that I brought in yet. Anyway, info. tons of great info, aptly named, <laughs> aptly named website. All right. Paul Soltero, have you noticed a reduced number of varieties of fish on your availability lists? No, not so much, but that doesn't mean anything. They list all the fish, whether they're available or not. So that's where it gets tricky. So the lists might not change, but something you order might not show up. So that's kind of how it works. Now, there are some wholesalers and things that do keep a pretty accurate list. I guess I can't say that for everyone, but when you're playing the import game, um, a lot of times it's just the list never changes. It's just if something's not available, you order it and you just don't get it, you get shorted. Now, there's, there's a few exporters that are not like that, and I tend to work with those more often than not just because I can you know, reliably craft an order. But in general, in the industry, it's very common that the, the, it all stays the same. You don't know if it's actually available or not. You just order it and cross your fingers. Mountaintop Puffer Keeper, at least eight baby palustrous puffers going strong. They hide well, could be 20. Let's go for 20. 18 days old, eating live baby brine, shrimp, blackworm, scuds, and snails co- habitating until consumed in the future. Yeah, yeah. So they're eating the baby brine, but you've got the other stuff in there with them. And when they get big enough, they'll start eating that. That sounds like a plan. That's awesome. Thanks for letting us know. I Fingers crossed that uh, we're able to get some to, um, you know, bring them to fruition, get some raised up. That would be awesome. Often sniped. <laughs> That's a good username. That's honest. <laughs> Hello, just made my first order last night. I got seven of your Chilotherina Alani for my 55 gallon. Would it be possible to put some of your Red Dragon Rainbows in with them as well? Yes and no. I, I think it's possible. Um, and I think that would probably work. Just keep in mind those Red Dragon Rainbows get very large, like seven inches, kind of a big fish. So, um, 
Could it work? Yeah. It's, it's a question of like, how do you maintain? How do you feed? How mature is the tank? What kind of load can it handle? What kind of load do you want to do maintenance for? Um, and all that, but could it work? Yeah. I, I don't think that the, um, red dragons, that's Glossolepis multisquamata are going to harm the Alani or they'll be fighting or anything like that. I think personality wise, they'll get along just fine. Joyce Brown, so excited to get my corridors on Friday. I know they will be awesome. They, they are awesome. And you have good taste, Joyce. I think your order is great. Hey, Train, what level of poor water quality would stunt guppy fry growth in a 10-gallon tank with a lot of plants and a cleanup crew? Only seven, two-week-old fry. And the mom, it's been three weeks since a water change. So I, I don't know, A Train, what the exact level is. My, my practice when I raise fry is to change the water multiple times a day. Um, so I don't test and be like, okay, is it so bad that I need to change it yet? Um, I just change it multiple times a day. That allows me to feed them heavily and often and keep the water clean. And to successfully raise fish to their full potential, well, heck, to raise fry at all and often, often especially with small egg layers. But um, to really raise them to their full potential, it's a question of, how can you keep food in front of them at pretty much all times and do that without compromising your water parameters, right? Without putting so much food in there that there's so much poop and decay that the water goes bad on you. And for me, the answer is I generally change the water, especially on itty bitty fry, like, I don't know, three, four times a day. I change it and then I feed, and then I change it, and then I feed, and then I change it, and then I feed, and then I change it, and lights out. <laughs> and then in the morning, I change it, and I feed, and I start the cycle over again. So I've never played with the edge, right? I've never tried to get to as bad a water quality I can without stunting, and then then do something. I always try to be on the other side, which is how can I keep it as clean as possible? So I don't really have um, a good answer for you, because that's not a, a game I've ever played. Oh, Bunny Viper asking what's wrong with the Gimpy Angelfish. Um, go ahead and watch the replay, but basically it's fin stuff. So one has a dorsal fin that's kind of crinkled. Um, some of them are missing dorsals or have a dorsal, I'm sorry, missing ventrals, not dorsals. Some of, them are, some of them are missing ventral fins or have uneven ventral fins, like noticeably uneven. And then um, some of them have gill covers that are a little crinkled as well. Jeremy Murray, what live cultures are good for beginners? Um, I would start with like, I mean, I'm thinking scuds, but just because they're so easy, you just keep them like fish. Keep them in a tank as if they were fish, do the water changes, do the feeding, and they just go like crazy. So that's really easy. If you can keep a tank going with fish in it, you can culture lots, lots and lots of scuds. But apart from that, just like a, a dedicated little food culture in containers, I think microworms are pretty easy. The easiest is vinegar eels for sure. 50% um, active vinegar that has the mother in it live vinegar, 50% water, a chunk of apple, mix it all together, throw in your starter, you're done. Like every now and then take some out of there and create a new starter, create a new culture, right? And, and you're good to go. 
So vinegar eels are the easiest. They're a little more difficult to harvest though. Microworms you can harvest in massive quantities pretty easily. Um, and as long as you reculture occasionally, you'll be fine. The old cultures will go bad. So you have to reculture every week or two. Uh, to keep it going long term, but you can get lots of yield on them. So they're not quite as easy, but the yield is extreme. So that's a good one too. So those are the two I'd suggest playing with. Um, I have some videos on culturing live foods, including vinegar eels and microworms. I do the microworms very differently than most people I know. I use Rice Krispies. The cereal is a medium. I use tons of yeast, and that way I don't get the smell of that sour oatmeal. I hate that smell. So um, if you go watch those videos, I think they'll guide you through at least how I do it. There's, there's many ways to skin a cat, as grandpappy used to say, but um, yeah, both those would be good. Leo Contreras, will the L471s eat baby brine shrimp, hatching some for my pistos and rumminos? I don't I don't know. Uh, adult brine shrimp, like frozen brine shrimp for sure. Frozen bloodworms are a favorite. Um, they're eating massivore pellets, Hikari massivore pellets. Same as Hikari carnivore pellets, just bigger. Um, they're eating uh, algae wafers and they really do like zucchini as well. <clears throat> so every couple days I'll put in a coin of zucchini on a fork, stick it in the tank. And I feel like that helps them have something to nosh on between meals. And they, they eat it down, so I think they kind of like the zucchini. So, <laughs> hey, Alexander, <laughs> thanks. Um, so, baby brine shrimp, though, they're not going to eat it unless it's actually on the substrate. And so, baby brine shrimp will be swimming up around in the water column. And a lot of it will probably get sucked into the filter before it dies and falls to the substrate and becomes available for the plecos. Once it falls on the substrate, they might eat it, but it's hard to control the mess. That's why I would... I'd probably shy away from that myself. But frozen adult brine shrimp, sure. Sure, no problem. Alexander Engelhart throwing down $100 Super Chat. Alexander, thanks so much. Appreciate the $100 Super Chat. Appreciate you. Looking forward to uh, getting some fish from you in the near future. And hope you're doing well. Always appreciated. Never required sincerely. But, um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Mountaintop Puffer Keeper, happy Veterans Day Eve to all my fish family here, fellow veterans and veteran families. Thank you, Mountaintop Puffer Keeper. My, my father was in the service, um, so I appreciate the sentiment. Oh, there we go. It just jumped. Boom. I knew that was going to happen. Huh. Aquatics, best way to get low pH, move to the Seattle area. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Ain't no thing. Let's pack your suitcase and head on over. <laughs> Master Aquatics, just call me Eduardo. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for your amazing username. Rick May. Hey, Rick, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Update on the Corey Weitzman eggs we talked about that failed hatching. First attempt with 30 ppm water, no luck. Second, uh, second attempt, same water, adding lower pH from oak leaves and got a 75% hatch. Well, there you go. We're on the topic of softening water naturally. I guess that's not so much softening as altering pH, but it softens as well. Anyway, glad to hear it worked. 
30 ppm, no bueno. Add some oak leaves, lower pH, 75% hatch. Rick, I'm glad to hear it. Hope you're doing well. Um, and can't wait till we run into each other again. It was great seeing you the other day. Crown Tail Half Moon, could powder blue Garami crossbreed with flame dwarf Garami females? Yeah, I, I assume that, are we talking about Lalia? If they're both Lalia, then no problem. And I have a feeling that that, that species could cross with some of the other ones. But let's see, what's a flame dwarf Garami? Is that a Lalia? Flame dwarf Garami. That is a Lalius. Yep. So yeah, they're the same species. That would be like, can a chocolate lab breed with a golden lab? Yeah, same species, different colors. Well, heck, there's lots of breeds of dogs that are the same species. What's a better example? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, they're the same species. So of course, of course they can breed. Now one do, what kind of water filtration will the warehouse have? Do you plan to recycle water? All right, well, I've gone over this in depth uh, in the past. So at the risk of being repetitive and boring, it has been some time. So let me just show you what the system is. All right, it's bringing up the plans. Okay, plans, equipment plans. Here we are. All right, I'm going to share this big because it's easier to see all the, this detail. So you're going to have to forgive me because chat's not going to be on the screen for just a second here. Okay, so water comes in this pipe, goes into the sediment filter where it's cleaned up. The sediment is removed. From there, it goes to these two big old carbon filters. These are like eight foot tall, massive carbon filter units. That takes care of any toxins in the water, any uh, chemicals, cleans it out. Like if there was any fertilizers that got spilled or anything like that um, upstream from us, or they're paving one of the bridges that goes across the river upstream from us and some of the oil gets in the water, you know, uh, any of that stuff. The sediment and carbon together should take care of that. Um, from there, it goes into this is a heat exchanger, which will um, suck the heat out of our outgoing water and inject it into the incoming water. So it's a eco-friendly, energy-free way to heat the water coming into the building and get it up to temperature to go into our tanks. From there, actually, I think I missed a step. This is a UV filter. So it goes through a UV filter where, uh, so we take care of sediments, we take care of chemicals, and this takes care of biohazards. So viruses, bacterias, pathogens, um, anything that was able to squeeze through the sediment filter will be small enough that this, this is a massive eight foot long UV filter that will take care of that. Then the temperature is done. From there, it goes to a boiler where it's heated the last seven degrees or so that it needs to be heated before it goes to the aquariums. So that's the, the filtration route. You can see it here as well. Sediment, carbon blocks. It's hard to see the UV back there, but they're back there. Um, here's the uh, 
heat exchanger and then the furnaces to heat it the rest of the way. Um, and then when the water leaves the tanks, it all goes into this big cistern here. From there, it's pumped back in. It is sterilized. So we're, because we don't want to put any pathogens into the river, right? So we take care of any pathogens through sterilization. And then it goes through the heat exchanger where it's temp shocked. It'll drop from about 78 degrees to about 32 degrees in however long it takes it just to flow through this unit. So that'll temp shock anything. And um, it's also UV sterilized and then it returns to the creek. So that's, let's see here. Here's kind of a, another view of it. So that's the, that's the filtration. Um, as far as the tanks go, we're not putting any filtration, we don't think. <laughs> I mean, if we get in there and this doesn't work and we have to add sponge filters or whatever, we will. But the hope is, and the engineering has been, to create such high turnover in water flow through the tanks that we don't have to do filtration in the aquariums, that all the nitrogenous waste and such will just be flushed out. Um, by simple water exchange. So each aquarium will receive a 100% water change every 40 minutes. So it's, it's a pretty good uh, flow through and we think that'll be sufficient. In fact, that might be overkill. Once we're actually in there, we'll run some tests and we'll tighten, you know, we'll, we'll throttle back the water flow on a few tanks and keep measurements and parameters and find out what the flow really is that we need to keep in there. Um, because it would be really nice if when we add the second phase of our warehouse, if all the equipment we have in there would be sufficient for that, that would be awesome. Uh, if we don't have to put a bunch of new filtration equipment and sterilization equipment and water treatment equipment um, in there, that would be great. So. We've, we've built it, we think overkill, um, but we won't know for sure. I don't know anyone else that's doing it this way. So we're kind of guinea pigs. We're gonna build, test, and iterate is what we'll do. And the, the water is recycled in the sense that it's cleaned up and returned back to the creek or the river that we pulled it out of. So um, basically the water is gonna be a lot cleaner when it returns to the creek than when we took it out. Uh, the sediment will be gone, pathogens will be killed. Um, and there's a problem in our town with the creek water getting too warm because there's a section downstream from us where it goes through like, it's, it looks like the LA River. Um, they've put like cement in to guide it through under the busiest part of town. And when it goes through there, it heats up a lot. So they have problems with the water and the creek being too hot. So we're actually gonna help the creek a lot. We're gonna clean the water and we're going to take it down and in the water coming out will be pretty darn cool and that'll help thwart the overheating problem that we're having locally due to the uh <laughs> due to what they've done to the river downstream from us a little ways so so i guess you could say we're recycling it we're returning it to nature better than we found it boy scout motto and all that EJ Fish is 76. Really excited to be getting my L400s. End of the week. Can't wait. Yeah, we did the pre-inspection or the pre-shipment inspection today and pulled your fish today and they look pretty darn good. I think you're going to like them. I think you're going to like them. Those L400s are smoking. Michael Wiggins, I've heard there are ways to partially unstunt fish. Do you think that's true? I don't. Well, depends on your definition of stunted. 
by definition, I believe a stunted fish is one that will not reach its full potential, period, because of what it's gone through. So if, if we're true to the definition, then no. But that doesn't mean you can't take a fish that was neglected or somehow uh, didn't reach its potential in the past, give it nice, clean water and lots of food, and that it won't grow. It will. It'll grow. It'll thrive. Um, it might not grow in it might not grow to the as big or as be as robust as a fish that had pristine conditions from the get-go. But yeah, fish grow out through their entire lives. Fish are growing, and the more, more optimal the nutrition and the water parameters, and the more they're going to grow. So yeah, you can bring them back, but if it's stunted, by definition, it's, it's not going to reach its full potential. Stunting is kind of a, a permanent definition. What's up, brother? Says Danikin Aquatics. Well, hey, Danny. And hey, Kenny E. Hope you guys are doing well. Good to see you. For those that are wondering where I'm at in the chat, I'm pretty far behind. I just reached Alexander Engelhart's generous super chat, throwing down $100. Thank you so much again, Alex. Really appreciate you. Hope you're doing well. And um, we did meet as a team recently to discuss the flow of the operations and, and get all that under wraps in our minds and the software we'll need to pair with that to make it optimized and things. So we're getting, we're getting close to being ready to uh, actually take advantage of your expertise. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, don't know exactly when we'll find the time to do it, but we've been prepping for it as we've found bits of time here and there. <laughs> Not Stefan says the worms eat the bacteria that eats the Rice Krispies, right? Um, I don't know if they eat the bacteria or if they eat the yeast or if they eat the starches in the Rice Krispies themselves. So I, I'm not sure exactly what they eat. I think they probably utilize all of it would be my guess. But basically what you do is you, the reason you put the yeast in the Rice Krispies is so that it doesn't mold over. I don't think you have to have it like the, the worms could live probably without it, but in time you're going to get mold and all kinds of stuff. So the, the yeast is simply to prevent mold from growing and to combat bacteria. So there's balance in the culture. So it doesn't crash immediately. So you can get a couple weeks out of the culture. If it's properly maintained, every now and then you might need to, we're talking about microworm cultures. Uh, every now and then you might need to add a little more liquid or as it breaks down and gets more liquidy, a little more Rice Krispies to soak up the extra liquid. Every now and then you might need to add a little bit more uh, yeast to it. You just, you'll get a feel for it. it. It takes some practice, but you'll get a feel for when you need to add dry stuff versus wet stuff versus yeast or how to balance it out. But if you do that, you can keep a culture going for, um, I don't know, more than two weeks, probably a few weeks before it totally crashes. And I don't know what the worms are eating for sure. I just know I'm trying to keep it in balance. So the thing doesn't go rancid and get real nasty on me. Um, and I can keep it going as long as possible. And the yeast does that somehow. So is it a food source for the worms? Probably, but I don't know that for sure. They might just be eating like the starches and sugars from the, uh, from the Rice Krispies treats or not treats. <laughs> There's no marshmallows in there. Just the Rice Krispies cereal. 
<laughs> don't, don't put your microwave cultures on Rice Krispies treats. Sorry. <laughs> it's just the Rice Krispies cereal. Um, so anyway, there's a video on it, but it's just some water, some cereal, and some yeast, and then a starter. <laughs> I'm going to culture microworms on a Snickers bar. Paul Soltero, all my fish eat BBS from adult, from quarries to adult discus. Yeah, cool. Cool. And, you know, maybe the little plecos will eat BBS. Um, and maybe it's fine. I mean, you could try it. I just think so many of them are going to get sucked up in the filter before they die and settle to the bottom where a pleco will rasp on them that, um, that it might not be the best way to utilize the tank's ability to, uh, to process biological waste, I guess. But Paul's comment might be completely unrelated to that previous conversation. I don't know. But I feed BBS to pretty much all my fish, too. Um, everything from tiny little tetras and baby fishes on up to like two inch rainbows will eat it without any problem. So I feed it to lots of fish, but not to the plecos, just because I think it creates a lot of unnecessary mess. But that's just me. Heck, if it works for you, do it. Crown tail half moon. Do you, if I use waste, okay. Do you, if I use wastewater from reef tank and put it in direct sunlight, do you think I can get phytoplankton to raise BBS to adults? My guess is yes. My guess is that that kind of water would be great for like a little brine shrimp pond. And if you, um, they'll eat any tiny, they're a little filter feeder. They'll eat lots of stuff. So if you can get phytoplankton going, great. But you can also feed them yeast. You can feed them finely powdered like even fish food, as long as it stays suspended in the water column, they'll eat it. You can get spirulina powder and different algae powders and feed that. So um, don't feel like you have to be successful at, grow at growing phytoplankton to raise brine shrimp. It would help. It would be awesome. But it's done with lots of different techniques. But yeah, I think yeah, that sounds like a great start to me. Sure. Gorgashoff, there's a blast from the past. Bison and cattle would be a good example. There you go. Bison and cattle, except for they're not quite the same species, but yes, that's a good example for, for the Garamis, uh, you know, would they breed. Okay, flying Jawayan, I think. <laughs> I'm also having trouble with my Corridor's Equus with breeding. I noticed that the females have eggs and are full. They get fed live BBS twice daily with dry food and frozen food in between. Um, yeah, Corydoris equus is not a simple one to breed. Otherwise, they would be more common than Aeneas because they're so pretty. Um, okay, couple tricks with Corys. If you watch any fish room tour with like Eric Bodrock... Um, and look at how he has his quarry set up. That would be good information. Um, Corey at Aquarium co-opted a tour a few years ago and explains the whole thing. But basically, there's multi-level tanks on a rack system. And the easy-to-breed species are at the top. And the water from them drains into the next tank and then down to the next tank and then down to the next tank, right? So you are 
mixing water in the tanks, right? The tanks share a water source. So that's bad. That can transfer disease. So you only want to do this with like fish you know are clean that you've had for a long time or raised yourself or something like that. But once you have that, if you put easy to breed species up top, then when they breed, the hormones and pheromones and everything from their breeding activity goes down in the tanks below where you keep the difficult to breed species. And the thought is that that helps trigger those difficult species to start breeding. So that's one trick. Um, I, I imagine you probably know this, but if you do a large water change, like 50% with slightly cooler water as a storm front is blowing into your area. So air pressure drops, you get a, a low pressure system come in, um, do a big water change with cool water, maybe a little softer than the water they're in. That can help trigger them. Um, Another trick when all else fails is sometimes you just need to net them out and put them in a totally different aquarium. Just move them to a new tank and sometimes that will get them to go. There's nothing guaranteed though. Um, and if you're really into quarries and spawning, I'd, I'd highly recommend jo joining a Corridors World run by Ian Fuller. You can join it online. There's a small fee. It's I don't remember what it was, but it's not a massive fee. And there's tons of information there and also a lot of dedicated Corridors nerds there that can help really guide you through. Um, but I believe Equus is Lineage 9. Is that right? I can't remember. I think it's in the same... Oh, I'd have to look now. Anyway, it's in one of the common lineages. So it might be helpful if you do the rack system to pick an easy-to-breed species from the same lineage and put that in the tank above the equus because it's more likely if they're from the same lineage that they might have the same hormones and pheromones and that might help trigger the uh the breeding so that's an idea but equus is a rough one it's tough otherwise man they'd be everywhere because they're so awesome all righty going to captain savage hey captain hope you're doing well Oh, just saying hi. Well, hi. Hi right back. Alex Aquatic Animals. I'm going to have my own little store soon. How do you get a customer base? Wowzer. Um, I, I think the best way to get a customer base is to not try to get a customer base. Weird as that sounds. The best way to get a customer base is to provide value to people. Um, and if you do that, then there's just this natural thing that happens where where you're able to uh have a relationship with them of trust and all that and you're helpful and so they'll end up buying from you so that would be my suggestion don't try to sell try to add value um i'd highly suggest you read seth godin anything by seth godin start with purple cow here let me show you how easy it is to find seth godin seth is such an amazing person in such a important influence in his field. If you just type this, type Seth into Google, the first result will be Seth's blog. This is Seth Godin's blog. Like he's easy to find. He's, he's a master at what he does. Check him out. He, he's an author. Um, he talks a lot about marketing, about spreading um, your ideas, about the things that new businesses struggle with. So I'm, I'm not an expert on that, but Seth is. So I would, I would check him out. Often sniped. 
<laughs> it makes me think of lots of first person shooters. <laughs> Thank you for the advice. I was thinking of getting four of the red dragons as more of the centerpiece fish because I thought they get large, but would there be a better choice for this? Oh, it's all up to taste. Like it's, it's your aesthetic. Like what pleases your eye? What, what do you like looking at? So no, I, I mean, I think that that would work this in a 55 rainbows eat a lot. So be prepared to do some maintenance, but I think that they would be fine. Chuck Gudgeon, I'm going to say. Yeah, it's a fish channel. We'll go with Gudgeon. Any tips on keeping angels from eating their eggs? Um, the main thing I would say is just let them go. Like, give them practice. They'll, they'll eat them, they'll eat them, they'll eat them, they'll eat them, and then one day they won't eat them. Or they'll eat them, 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 and they'll always eat them, and then you just have a pair of angels that eats their eggs. Um, and you have to artificially raise those. But usually from what I've experienced and seen other people experience, it seems like it's just give them practice, give them plenty of tries, give them six tries at bat. (laughs) Hopefully somewhere before that, they figure it out. If not, maybe they just, you know, are egg eaters. That being said, I know there's lots of tips and tricks and everyone's got their little thing that they say will do that, but I've yet to see any like actual objective study done or anything to know what actually prevents angels from eating their eggs besides um, practice and stress. Like if they're, I'm imagining they're in a good breeding environment, right? There aren't a bunch of other fish trying to eat their spawn all the time. Um, The one thing that I do think is true is that if they feel like the spawn is going to be unsuccessful, they'll probably eat it. If other fish are constantly eating at their spawn, they're like, Hey, I might as well reserve this energy for myself. So I live to try again another day and they might eat their spawn. Now that's anecdotal. I haven't seen a a study on that, but it makes sense to me. Um, Yeah. That's my thoughts on that. I'm not sure that I'm not sure there's been a study done that, that is, scientific or objective enough that we can trust it. There's a lot of folks that, I don't know, um, played classical music and the fish didn't eat the spawn. And so therefore thought it was that, but, um, correlation doesn't equal causation. So I'm not sure what to tell you. Kelly Foreman, 1999, the best way to build a customer base is to keep dangling new rainbows in front of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that, that's what works for Kelly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's funny. Um, man, my mic got hot there when I was laughing. Sorry if I blew anyone's eardrums. Crown tail half moon. Hello. Good to see you. What carbon block micron do you recommend? How often do you need to change it? So for the, for the carbon, um, I'm not sure the micron is all that important because with the carbon, you're trying to remove chemicals. You're not necessarily trying to remove sent, uh, I want to say sentiment, remove feelings, <laughs> sediment. Um, so I w- personally, I would not rely on a carbon block to remove sediment because I feel like it'll get clogged. And then you'll have less chemical removal from the carbon. What I think is ideal is have a sediment filter and a carbon filter. 
So a sediment filter dedicated to removing all that sediment. You could get that down to five microns if you wanted. It's very small. And then after the sediment is out, then put it through carbon for chemical purification. So that's, that's what I would suggest. Lady Diane, wow, that's beautiful. Never thought I'd say that about water filtration. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's, uh, we're not messing around. We're, we're, we're really trying to come up with something innovative that will be better for the fish. We, we were talking about it. How do we describe our mission, right? And what we're trying to do is humanely source fish, humanely transport fish, and have them thrive for our customers. So we changed the narrative from, yeah, I used to keep fish, but they all died, so now I don't, because the fish weren't healthy, so they died on that poor person, to like, yes, I love my aquarium. You know, it's it's reduces my stress level. It, it helps my heart rate calm down. You know, all those benefits we get from observing nature, observing uh, an aquarium in our home. So that's our mission. And something popped out the other day I, I really like not Stefan's description of um, dance fish, the best place to get fish with a will to live. <laughs> like, I like that. But I was like, what we're really trying to do is be the place that a fish would choose to go to if it could choose which fish store it ended up in. That's what we want to be. Want to be the place where a fish would be like, Okay, you can pick from all these fish stores. Which one do you want to go to? Be like, uh, I want to go to that one. That one looks good, right? I think I'll live if I go to that one. Um, and I'll be treated well. That, that's what we're trying to do. And when you do that, then, then of course the customers have a better experience because the fish do better. So that's why we're doing that. Um, it's kind of silly sometimes. Um, we have to make money to stay in business. And we want all our employees and everyone on the team to earn a living and thrive, not just like barely make it, like not be a, you know, one event away from bankruptcy or going out of business or whatever. We want a healthy business, but we're mission driven. We never want to um, let money be the driving factor or make the decisions for us. So when we were thinking about that, we were like, well, how much warehouse could we build? We could build this big, big warehouse and have tons of tanks. We're like, yeah, that's not best for the fish. What would be best? And we just went and thought about it and honed it down until we were like, well, the best thing for fish is constant flow through as if they were living in a river themselves. Well, how do we do that? And then we had to come up with a system that would do that. Uh, we brought some engineers on board that are qualified <laughs> to make sure that the system will work, <laughs> that the flow rates will match and that the temperatures will be what they need to be and the water will be treated properly and all that. And so what we ended up doing is putting a lot of our resources into that system instead of into space. So we still have a healthy amount of space, right? We can have like 500 aquariums in phase one, a little over actually. Um, but we built that system and we're, we're putting all those resources into that because we think that will make us the place where a fish would choose to be if it could choose the store it went to, right? Wait, constant fresh water? I'll, I'll take that one, please, right? That's the idea. So that's what drives all that. That's, that's why that crazy 
water treatment system is there. That's why we're doing the things the way we do them. And I have to tell you, it makes for a good life. Like there's few things more rewarding, maybe family and in those, you know, intimate relationships with friends and family and stuff. Um, that that's probably the most rewarding thing. But apart from that, like career wise, I can't think of anything more rewarding than waking up and being excited about your mission. Um, and feeling like you're actually making a difference. So, I mean, that's where we're at and we're, we're small potatoes. It'll take us a while to get grow to the point where we're having the impact we need to fulfill our mission um, and making this like ubiquitous practice throughout the industry. Maybe not exactly how we're doing it, but, but higher standards throughout the industry. Um, but that's why. And I'm glad, Lady Diane, that you like that system. Bob Purcell, what type of exchanger is the economizer? I'd have to look it up. I don't know. Um, it's an aqua lav- It's an alpha lavel is the brand. I don't remember the model, but it can, I don't know. I think it can do like 700 gallons per minute or something like that. It's, it's a, it's a big unit. Oh, I take that back. I think we went with a smaller unit because it was cheaper to add two of those than to get the one big one. I can't remember exactly what we ended up with, but it's an alpha level. Which for those in that world, you, you've probably heard of that company. They do good stuff. Okay, chat jumped, so I am looking like mad. So I went on my rant, but... but that's why that filtration equipment's there. That's the decision chain that got us there. Okay, hang on. Okay, trying to get back. Here we go. I think... Master Aquatics just called me Eduardo um, at not Stefan was the main reason I changed my name. He told me on his stream that it was too long. So I adjusted it. <laughs> so it's all not Stefan's fault. That's shorter. Master Aquatics just called me Eduardo is shorter. <laughs> okay. Preston John. Good to see you. Thanks for being here, my friend. Paul Soltero with all this water through, how are you heating it? I thought we, we talked about that, but to be clear, um, so let's say that the water comes in from the creek at 32 degrees and the water leaves our aquariums at 77 degrees. Then what happens is that 32 degree water goes into the exchanger, that 77 degree water goes into the exchanger. And what the exchanger does is it sucks the heat out of the hot water and transfers it into the cold water. So it, it's a heat exchanger. It literally exchanges heat from one body of water into the next. And so, and it does that with just the power of a, a water pump. So that's how the exchanger is set up. So the 32 degree water leaves the exchanger at about 70 degrees. And the warm water that left the aquariums leaves the exchanger at about 32 degrees. So they've just switched. It's 96.4% efficient, I believe, at transferring all the heat. And um, so then that water that was heated up in the exchanger just through transfer to about 70 degrees, then goes to those two furnaces. And those heat at the last seven degrees or so 
to get to the temperature we needed to go to the tanks. But the bulk of it is just done through exchange. I mean, that way we, we use a lot less natural gas. We're a lot greener company. Um, and it costs a lot less money to run the system. So it's a win-win-win all around. Crown Tail Half Moon. If it's permitted, could you highlight the fundraiser discus talk on YouTube is currently doing for USA and Canada? Proceeds go to discus disease research. Um, Crown Tail, I would if I knew that organization and was like, yeah, I know these people. I know they're doing a good job, but but I don't know them, so I have a I have a hard time promoting them if I don't even if I don't even know them. Leo Contreras. So those carnivorous carnivore pellets. How many should I put in for a group of five? Um, I usually go, I would say like two per pellet would probably be good. Two fish per pellet. I would start there. If all the pellets are gone in the morning, then try, I feed right after lights out at night, right? I go around pretty much in the dark and drop pellets in. So um, for five, I would go with like three of those small ones, let's say. That's what I would do. I put in three. If in the morning there's leftovers, then the next day I'd put in two. And if there's no leftovers, maybe I'd try six. You know, I, I just find I just find what the number is by experimenting a little bit. Uh, it's hard to say for sure because metabolisms vary based on temperature, based on different things, growth rates. Are they at a point in their life where they're growing super fast or they slowed down a little bit? Um, just like kids, right? They'll spurt and they'll kind of stop. They'll spurt and they'll kind of stop. It's, so there's different variables, but I would start with um, three pellets for a group of five and go from there. Gorgachev, now I know what to do with all my Halloween candy no one else wants to eat. I'm sure that made sense and was witty when you put it, but it's been so long. I'm so far behind in chat that I, I don't remember what we were talking about. But um, yes, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ryan Tapia, cool epistogrammas, love the fire reds. Oh yeah, they're beautiful fish, the Agazizia fire reds. Mitchell Broom, Corridors Equus are lineage seven, thank you. Oddly enough, they're in the same lineage, lineage as Aeneas, which is super easy to trigger. Yeah, okay, so Aeneas up top, Equus down below, maybe that would help, yep. Lineage seven, thank you. I can never remember. I have to look at the lineage chart each time. I was thinking nine because they have that kind of stubby nose, but makes sense there with Equus. Rick May, Corridor's Equus is lineage seven, same as Aeneas and Venezuelanus. Yep, okay, thank you. Yep. Thanks for setting me straight, by the way. I, I don't mind, I appreciate it. If I say something totally wrong, I like to be called out because we don't want to be the misinformation channel. Timothy Darling. Oh, that reminds me of Lady and the Tramp. Wasn't her family the Darlings? Do you still have any or can you still get any of those bright green little quarries? If you're talking about Equus, they're out. Like I got all that the breeder produced this year. So I can't. Um, if I find another supply, you bet your bunions that I'll, uh, I'll bring them in. But like, if I can find them, I'll bring them in. But that is a very difficult fish to find, which is, you know, the whole reason it's so in demand and so expensive. But if I see him, Timothy, I will bring them in. Paul Soltero, place some berry white and the fish will spawn. That's right. That's right. 
again, anecdotal, <laughs> but I'm sure it would work. <laughs> Chuck Gudgeon thinks they're on the fifth, their fifth set. Oh, the rainbows have already spawned five times. Wow. After six tries, Chuck, I'd just be like, I think this pair are egg eaters. It's like, I don't know if you've ever raised chickens, but you get that hen that eats the eggs and will never stop. Eh, maybe they're that. Leo Contreras, so the zucchini, do you cook? Nope. And how many for the massive of the massive ore pellets for five 471s? I do like half a massive ore pellet for them. I do like one massive ore pellet for 10. But then again, I, I would play it. Like, is it all gone? Maybe try a little more. Is there a bunch left? Maybe I'll do a little less. But I think about half a massive ore pellet. Now, the massive ore pellet and the carnivore pellet is the exact same food. It's the same ingredients, same everything. It's just one is a larger pellet size than the other. So um, for five, I would get the um, carnivore pellets and feed a few of those instead of having to break up the massivores. Because every time you break those pellets, a bunch of powder falls off and there's a lot of waste and a lot of mess. But the zucchini is wrong. I just take a zucchini. I cut like a quarter inch coin, stick a fork in it, put it in the tank and I let it go for a day, day and a half, and then I take it out, throw it away, and um, wait a day or so, and then do it again. So that, that works well. And if the zucchini is only in there for a day, day and a half, it's not going to go bad. It's fine. The, the fish can chew on it the whole time whenever they want. So it's just a nice way to keep food in front of plecos between feedings, even if they're carnivorous. I know hypencystris are not like ancestress. I know they're more carnivorous fish, but... I've never, I think zucchini is great. I don't think it's going to hurt them. I think it's only going to help them and give them something to tide them over between feedings of, of high protein foods. And by the way, I still feed the uh, blood worms and brine shrimp and pellets and algae wafers and stuff, even though the zucchini is in there. I give them a choice. Okay, Killers Aquatics and Exotics, remember Dan prefers to answer his highlighted at Dance Fish questions. Yeah, it's just easier to see, folks. So you see all these bright orange boxes? That's someone that typed at Dance Fish, which made it highlight so I could see it. So as long as it's highlighted, um, I'm happy to answer it. It's just I won't see it otherwise. There's too much other chatter going on for me to know it's for me. Man, we're at 821 already. It is flying tonight. Scrolling down, looking for, hang on, chat jump. So I'm trying to reorient myself. Almost there. There we go. Crown tail half moon saying my carbon block question earlier is in relation to your water uh, treatment facility. What type of carbon blocks? So it's not a carbon block. It's a big carbon canister and it's got um, what looks like fine carbon gravel in it. It's constantly circulating through like if you think of like oh what are those filters why can't i remember right now like the this filter where the the biomedia is constantly circulating in there it's it's like that so it's not a block it's a little different setup but it does the same thing as a block so um yeah and how long will it last um haven't used it yet. 
So there's a lot of things we won't know for sure until we get in there. But I don't think it's, this is the type of carbon that supposedly you can recharge. So I, I, this, the way the filter is, is it's supposed to continuously recharge itself. So I, I bet that eventually we'll need to replace the carbon, but I don't think it'll be for quite a long, long time. The carbon blocks I'm using in my house, um, those are actual blocks like you would use in a, you know, in-home water filtration system. And those, um, I don't know, replace about four times a year, every four months or every three months or so. But you have to remember, I have really nice, clean water here. There's hardly any chlorine or anything in it. So uh, it lasts quite a while. And you can, you can test that just by downstream from the block, test for chlorine. And if you're getting any chlorine, then you know it's time to change the filter. Uh, hopefully you changed it before, actually. But <laughs> I tend to want to change them before I get a reading. But yeah. But yeah, so the warehouse is not a carbon block. It's a carbon filtration unit, but different type of unit. ADH Aquatics, have you seen a viable way to auto-feed live BBS? I think I've seen an internal feeder um, in someone's tank, but they don't go into detail. So th the way I've seen that done is you have your baby brine shrimp, you hatch them, you harvest them, and then you put them back into pretty much a brine shrimp hatcher that has a little hose feeding down into the aquarium. You still have the brine shrimp bubbling so it stays alive, and you turn a valve so that this brine shrimp hatcher, more or less, that's above the aquarium, just constantly drips a little bit of baby brine shrimp down into the tank. So I have seen people do it that way. I'm not sure why that's necessary, though, because if I feed baby brine shrimp at 9 a.m. in the morning, if it's freshly hatched and hasn't been sitting in the hatching cone for hours and gone through a few instar phases, but it's like an instar one and hasn't molted a bunch yet, if I put that in at like 9 a.m., if I come back after lunch, say at 2 p.m., and they haven't eaten at all, it's still alive. Like, baby brine shrimp can live in fresh water for a long time. And I have soft water. So uh, it's not acidic necessarily, but it's soft. So I'm not sure exactly what the benefit is. If you can feed before you go to work and they're able to eat you know, into the afternoon and when you get home, you feed them again. Um, that's food in front of them almost all the time without any fancy drip system or anything. But again, you have to feed them at the correct instar stage. If they've molted a few times and gone on, oh, daylight savings. Uh, <laughs> sorry, time change happened and it didn't happen there. So <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I haven't updated the auto timers for daylight savings yet. So the, the tank lights just went bye-bye. Um, just give me one sec. I'm going to turn them on because, oh, no, we've only got a couple minutes left. So never mind. Anyway, if they've gone through a few molts, then they're not going to last very long because they're going to be running out of energy. The Desert Shadow. Hey, good to see you again. It's been a while. Hey, Dan, I have tap water quality issue. My tap is 5.8 pH but high in TDS, it's iron. Okay, any tips? I currently use RO water, use a carbonate solution, and remineralize. MT problems, is that Montana problems or mountain problems? Probably Montana. Um, hang on, let me see if I can get random arms real quick. I think he had high iron and had a solution. Do you have high iron? Uh, 
out of our well. We use a KDF filter. Okay, so Random Arms had has an iron problem out of his well down on his farm in Texas, and uses a KDF filter. Is that what you said? Okay, and uses something called a KDF filter. So um, I, I think he's looking. He's googling right now. Maybe he'll be able to post a link down for you. You can post links, right? As a mod. Okay, cool. He's going to send you a link, but that's that's how he had to handle it. Was with a special filter for removing iron. So hopefully that'll help you. Aquafinity, hello. Hello, right back. Hello. And we're at 827. Let's do the giveaway um, because it's time. These are for Gimpy Angels. They're healthy. They're beautiful. But some are missing ventral fins. Some have misshapen dorsal fins. Some might have crinkled gill covers. Um, but they deserve a good life. So for some Gimpy Angels, most are Mappa Reds. One's a black avatar maybe a zebra avatar just think i don't remember exactly an avatar and it's black with some zebra stripes <laughs> um there's seven or eight of them one to two inch body size so they're not tiny but they're not huge yet and we will ship them out uh tomorrow for arrival friday so if all that works for you then you can get some of these the winner is mystery snail guardians hey mystery snail guardians good to meet you Good to see you, I meant. It was also good to meet you as well um, in Portland. But good to see you. I'm glad you won. That's awesome. So you've got two minutes, Mystery Snail Guardians. If all that is good, you can provide some Gimp Angels with a good home, and you can receive them this Friday. Then, um, yeah, then you've got them. Just let us know, and uh, we'll take care of you from there. While we're waiting, let's get to another question or comment. Looks like we have uh, liquid zoo only fins. Whatever we know, the most rewarding thing about work is sitting right next to you. <laughs> He's talking to you, Get Gills. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, there's Mystery Snail Guardians. Awesome. 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 So Mystery Snail Guardians, you know my email, but send me an email, dan at dancefish.com. Um, I know I have your information, but if you just do it again so I don't have to go dig for it, first name, last name, mailing address, we'll send those fish out to you tomorrow. We've already done the pre-shipment work on them because we're planning on doing that. <laughs> so they're all ready. Um, it takes us two days to properly prep sh uh, fish for shipping and get them so they'll do well during shipping. But um, we started that this morning because we knew that was coming. Lady Diane, I appreciate your honesty and admire admirable comment to my comment. I'm very impressed with you and your choice of operating. Your fish are second to none. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's a, thanks for the compliment. I'm, I'm just makes it worth it. So thank you. Let's hear. I think we, we're going to do one more real quick. Rick 500, the overlap between aquarium and brewery equipment is amazing. Our heat exchanger is an alpha level as well. Yeah. Yeah. The best, right? Yeah. All right, that'll do it. Um, thanks. Whoa! Holy cow, Alexander Engelhart was not done. Threw down another $100. Rehoming fee for angel adoptions. Thank you so much. Well, that'll be nice. That'll, that'll pay for, you know, um, a good portion of, no, a good portion of the shipping. Hey, that'll pay for the shipping and then some. Shipping will be like 34 to 40 bucks on those. So that's much appreciated. Thank you so much, Alexander. Not expected, but always a pleasant surprise when Alexander throws down because he throws down right. <laughs> anyway, I want to start by thanking my moderators for doing what they do every week because 
it would be real hard to do this without them. They, they keep things flowing smoothly and make sure everything is, is uh, you know, good in chat. Trolls, shenanigans, you know, they take care of it. So thank you. Cheers. Thank you to Alexander and Kelly Foreman and Leo Contreras for throwing down some super chats. Always appreciated. Never required. Really, it's not required, but we are a little startup here and every little penny helps. And hey, C notes help a ton. So thanks, Alexander. Um, Everyone that asked a question or comment, thanks for participating. It would be awful boring if you guys didn't participate. So thanks for doing that. Um, Everyone who's watching the replay, hope you can be here live someday. But until then, hello. Hail the Lurker Nation. And if you're listening to the podcast, thanks for doing that. Anyway, we'll be back next week. uh, Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I hope you have a good one. Um, Bye-bye.